0: A couple of years ago I think many churches many Christians began to to think about the relationship between the church and government in ways we hadn't thought of before Uh, because now all of a sudden the the government was uh, telling churches things they could or could not do that historically they never told us that before and and so we were kind of wrestling with well what should churches do how should churches respond uh, to what the government was saying? And, and unfortunately, I think many of us were, were not well equipped to really wrestle through uh, some of what was going on and to try to think consistently and biblically about some of these things. And so I began to, to try to, to think more clearly so that I could be prepared both uh, for my family and for my church. Uh, to try to think through not only what we were facing during that time, but issues I think we're going to be facing increasingly in the future, in which we uh, are interacting, I think, with a government that is, I think to say it this way, uh, there was a time in which the government was probably favorable towards Christianity. I think there was a time in which the government was probably neutral towards Christianity, and I think we're probably moving into a place in which, in the West, the government's going to be more hostile towards Christianity. And we need to think through how we should respond to the government in that kind of an environment. And I want to just begin with a reminder uh, from one, I think, central passage of what the government is. And that's from Romans 13, uh, a passage in which we are, are called to understand the, the nature and role of government. And so Romans 13, uh, the first few verses there... It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. And I always find that fascinating, because I think we don't tend to think about government officials as servants of God. They're ministers of God, and yet Paul says they are. Why? Because he set them up. They're doing something he wants them to do. Now, I think often they don't realize that, and often they don't do it the right way, but they are instituted by God to be his servants to accomplish what he wants to see accomplished, and seeing evil restrained and punished and good promoted. So if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For again, he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And for, because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers or servants of God attending to this very thing. Now we could talk a lot more about this passage. I just wanted to kind of summarize it in this way. Believers must submit to and support government as a God-ordained institution designed to commend good and punish evil. And that should be our basic approach. Our basic approach should be to, to look at government as something God set up, something that we are then called to submit to and support. That's why we pay our taxes, because God intends for them to accomplish certain things and they need to be able to accomplish it as so we submit to it and we support them. And that means that our default position is one of submission. An exception should be just that. And this is something I try to remind myself regularly and other people. Uh, exceptions to the rule are just that, exceptional, rare, not common, unusual. Unusual. And so Christians should be known for their willing submission to legitimate authority as a means of submitting to God. That when we submit to government, we're doing so because we know God set it up. They're God's servants to accomplish order in society. If we didn't have government, it would be chaos. We would, we would hate society if there were no government. And so we should be thankful that God instituted government in order to, to provide order and in order to, to maintain Uh, order and lawfulness in society and yet we tend to immediately move to so does that mean we always have to obey the government and we're going to talk about that for the most of the rest of the session but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that most of the time the answer is of course we should that our default position is we should be submitted but are there times and perhaps which we shouldn't and that's when we begin to ask the question are there any limits to governmental authority. And as churches wrestled with this question, I think probably the the place that came up most often was whether or not churches could still meet together and worship when the government was saying you can't meet in person. Uh, Perhaps they weren't saying you can't meet in person, but they were saying you can only have 10 people. If you have a church of 100, that's not really the church gathering. And and so people were wrestling with, with whether or not we should be following uh, the government institutions in this way. And I, and I found a pretty common argument being made by, by people who are generally good thinkers, good theologians. And the argument tended to start with this. Christians and churches must submit to all government regulations unless there is a clear command or a clear prohibition in Scripture to the contrary. And so that means you have to be able to look at a, a verse of Scripture and say, God says Do this. Or God says, don't do this. And unless you have that kind of a, a clear verse, you just got to obey what government says. Now, I'm actually going to critique this argument. But before I do, I want to, to say I, I appreciate the fact that they are starting with the right assumption. We need to have the default of let's obey government. And if we don't, we should be looking at what does Scripture say. To the contrary. And so that that's a good impulse. But if that's true then I think there's a series of things that that the scripture doesn't give us this clear you must do X or you must not do Y that we would still kind of hesitate to think, well, government could tell us to do this or not to do this. And so let me give a few examples of this. Could government ban formal church membership so that no church can maintain a membership role? You have members, You're, you're a member of this church, there's a list of members of this church. Is there a command in scripture that says you need a list of members? I don't think so. I've never seen anyone like that. And that's going to be true for all of these. There's not a clear scripture that says you must maintain a membership role. But I think, really, in order for a church to be faithful, they need to do this. And So these are things that I'd say, well, God would want us to do this even if there's not a clear command. Could government ban fathers from leading their children in prayers? Their command, fathers must lead their children in prayer. There's not a command. But if fathers never lead their children in prayer, wouldn't they be in sin? Could government ban public verbal prayer? Let's all pray silently. But can someone actually lead publicly in prayer with with words? Does Scripture ever say we have to do that? Could government ban sharing the gospel on national holidays? Did you sin if you didn't share the gospel on Memorial Day? But wouldn't it be good if you did that? Could government ban the baptism of minors? Could government ban fasting? Could government regulate or require everyone to fly rainbow flags during this month of Pride Month? Could government require everyone to drink one glass of wine each week for heart health? Or could government require churches to publicly post contact information for local abortion clinics because they want to promote women's health? Now, I I think... Most of us look at those and say, well, the government can't do that. And in fact, if, if churches did some of those things or didn't do some of those things, or if Christians did or didn't, they'd be sinning. And that's because we understand that, that sinning doesn't just come down to, there's a clear statement in scripture, you must do X or you must not do X. In fact, I think that's kind of a, a, a legalistic approach. That's the approach that, that sometimes teenagers might take with their youth pastor, with their parents. Where's the Bible verse that says, I can't do this? You know, where does it say I have to do this? And we understand the answer isn't well. I guess you're okay to do whatever you want then. The answer is to say, well, actually, there's a lot of things that there isn't a clear verse that says you have to do X or you don't have to do X. But instead, we are always asking things, and we're not we're not really beginning with the approach that the Bible says you must do this or can't do this. We're starting with the approach that says, well, can I do this to the Lord? Can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can I do this to the glory of God, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do? Can I do it to the glory of God? And so we don't simply say, Did God say I can't do this? Or did God say I must do this? But we say, Can I do this in honor of the Lord? Or should I do this in honor of the Lord? And I think that's really helping us to see that kind of argument that says you need an ex- explicit statement is too narrow. Because I think the verse most cited as we talk about the exception to whether or not we can obey government is this in Acts 5.29. Notice it doesn't say, we must obey the explicit commands and prohibitions of Scripture rather than men. It doesn't say that, right? What does it say? We have to obey God. And sometimes we understand obeying God isn't based on an explicit statement. It's based on our understanding of what he said in his word as we're applying it to the situation we're in. And so a better argument is this. Christians and churches must submit to every government regulation unless it would mean disobeying God. Or in other words, unless it would mean causing them to sin. That if, if you obeying government causes you to sin, you can't obey government. You've got to obey God rather than government. And I would like to think that it's, if we really wrestle through this, all of us would at least come to this. We'd at least agree, yeah, this is really the standard obey God or obey men but even in this scenario there's a lot of things that if we thought about it the government could potentially say you have to do this or or not do this and we'd look at it and say I don't know that it's a sin but I'm not sure that really the government could do this either and so let's think of a few examples of this could government institute a one child policy such that no family can have more than one child is there a command that says you must have more than one child? Or are you sinning if you don't have more than one child? Could the government require all children to attend a government-recognized school where a state-sponsored religion is taught? Would that be sinful to do that? Could government ban a corporal punishment? Or could government prohibit someone from being a member of a church for more than five years? So after five years, you've got to go somewhere else. You've got to change your membership. Could government ban corporal punishment? Could government ban Christians from exercising self-defense? Could government ban giving Bibles to minors, including your own children? You you can't give a Bible to your child. Would you be sinning if you didn't do that? I don't think you'd be sinning, but it seems like that'd be a really good thing to be able to do. Could government require 50% of deacons in the church to be women or to be members of an ethnic minority group? Could government ban pastors from getting paid for any work done outside of the church? Could government ban translating scripture into different languages? Could government limit sermons to no more than 30 minutes? Now, some of you might be in favor of that. Hopefully not. But could that be a government requirement? Could government cap churches? No church can be more than 15 members. And so once you reach 15, you've just got to start a new church. And, and, and don't get caught up in any one particular of these. I think if you look at all of them, we'd all agree, at least for some of them, it'd be hard to say, well, it'd be sinful to, 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 if we had to do this. Like, are we sinning if churches are only at 15 people? Or are we sinning if you have to switch churches after five years? But c- does the government have this kind of authority? So let's think of how, mo- how, how we might respond. We might respond, we'll say, well, the government would never do that. And I, and I saw this response pretty common. The government's not saying those things. And I'd say, are you sure the government would never do that? Because in fact, there are places around the world where the government is doing some of those things. Yeah, That might seem surprising to us in America, but I I think that's that's a wrong approach. The wrong approach isn't to say, well, that's not what the government's saying right now. The question is, well, what if they did? What are the limits? Another approach might say, you know what, I don't like that, but I think if they did that, we just have to submit and if so then you basically have are okay with the approach that says the only exception is if it's going to cause us to sin that's the only time we can ever disobey government outside of that the government can dictate anything to us Or you might say i don't think the government has that kind of authority and and, and i think most of us would probably have that kind of an approach We'd say there's something that just seems strange, that that seems like the government can't do that. Is there any biblical reason for us to think that way? Well, I think there is a biblical understanding that recognizes there are limits to government authority. And Jesus talks about this, for example, in in Mark 12 there. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, to understand really what he's saying here, it's not as though there's two realms and God's over here and Caesar's over here. God's actually over everything. But there is a realm in which God set up Caesar as specifically overseeing this from a human perspective. And Caesar there is government. And so under God, government oversees something, but there's other things that government doesn't oversee. They aren't Caesar's. That's what this verse is saying. Some things are not the government's there is a limitation now potentially that's only the places in which we would be sinning but i think even biblically we we recognize there's other authorities that god had actually set up we mentioned romans 13 romans 13 doesn't really give us exceptions it just says submit it just says be subject to the rulers and so some people have said well look it doesn't really give exceptions but you know there's actually other passages In which we're called to obey certain people. And there's no exceptions given. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for this would be of no advantage to you. Who's leaders here? Your church leaders. They're watching for your souls. These are your pastors, your elders. And this says, obey them. So elders and pastors have some level of authority such that members of the church need to obey them now is that absolute i don't think so in the same way they don't think government's authority is absolute but but potentially we're recognizing now we have competing authorities so if the pastors say we are going to do this and the government says no does the government always win or might there be times in which we recognize well who actually has the authority over this matter who actually gets to make this decision Or Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So do children always have to obey their parents? And and typically, when we talk about this, well, no, not if the parent's asking the child to sin. What if the parent's saying, I want you to do this, but the government says, I don't want you to do it? Who gets the final say? Does the government always win? Or do we say, well, who actually has authority in this area? And I think that's really the best way to think about this, that, that there are certain things that god has said government oversees this the church oversees this the family oversees this and we've got to figure out what we're talking about whose authority does it fall under which means i think that a better argument would be this christians and churches must submit to every government regulation unless it means first of all disobeying god which we already talked about would it cause you to sin or the government is seeking to regulate something outside its sphere of authority So there are times in which the government might say, you have to do this. We'd say, you don't have the authority to say that. Because that falls to someone else's authority. The church leaders get to decide how long the sermon's going to be. The parents get to decide how they're going to discipline their children. Now, that doesn't mean there's not still tensions. And there might be questions in which we're wondering, well, who really has authority on some of these things? But I think this is a better starting approach to think through these. Now, related to this question of of the limits of government authority, I saw very regularly people talking about the fact that churches or Christians, we need to submit to what the government's telling churches to do right now because what they're asking us to do is reasonable and temporary. And so they're just saying for the next three months... Or, you know, for a period of time, you have to do this. And they're not asking crazy things. They're just asking maybe limit 50% capacity or or these kinds of things. And and so it's reasonable and it's temporary. And does that make the authority legitimate? If If the government's exercising authority that's reasonable and temporary, does that mean Christians need to follow it? And I would argue that submission to governmental authority does not depend on the commands or prohibitions being reasonable. And let's think about some examples of this. Does authority depend on it being reasonable? So, someone says, you know what? The speed limit here is too low. I could go much faster and be safe. Would you say, well, I mean, if if it's not reasonable to you, then you don't have to follow the speed limit. The police, you think they'll listen to that? Officer, I just thought that was an unreasonably low speed limit. Or let's say... You're, you're talking to a teenager. And, and that teenager says, I really want a cell phone. But my dad has said that cell phones are actually being used by the government to spy on us all. And it's actually a tool of Satan. And so our family will not have cell phones. Now, I don't find that a very reasonable reason. That's not, to me, it doesn't feel like, well, that makes perfect sense. Of course, we wouldn't have cell phones then. But I would also still, still sell that child that's your father's decision, you've got to follow it, because the father has authority over the child. Or let's say a a husband, and the wife's called to submit to the husband, and the husband says, honey, I don't want you to shop at this store, because that store supports an evil institution, (laughs) right? They are actually the official store of the University of Michigan Wolverines, and we have nothing to do with them. Now, is that reasonable? certainly you'd tell that wife you know what doesn't really matter because you don't ask your child if your if your son or daughter says i don't find that reasonable you don't say oh well okay you don't have to follow it then, because we always understand that the nature of authority means sometimes you don't even need to explain your reasons that a mom or dad can say because i said so because authority isn't based on it being reasonable authority is based on the fact that you have that authority And so whether or not it's reasonable doesn't really matter here. The second issue, well, what if it's temporary? And I would argue again that submission to government authority does not depend on the commands or prohibitions being temporary. And here I think we we have an explicit indication of this even in Scripture. In Daniel 6, this is something that I, I hadn't really thought of before until I was wrestling with all of these questions. But in Daniel 6, the command comes out from the king. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days, except for you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. I mean, it was just temporary. Couldn't Daniel have waited 30 days to pray? And the answer is well, it doesn't matter that it was only 30 days. What matters is the king couldn't tell Daniel not to pray to God. It was outside of the king's authority. And the government can't automatically get authority just because they're giving it a certain limited period of time. Because you don't gain authority just because you put a time frame on it. If you have that authority, you have that authority for 10 days or 30 days or forever. It's not based upon how long the restrictions are. Now, many people actually pointed to historical situations and saying, well, well, in the past, churches have recognized that governments could say, churches, you can't gather for worship because we're in the middle of a war or we're in the middle of a plague. And, and so, therefore, it, churches need to, to kind of submit in these unique situations and circumstances. But I think really what's happening there is they're combining reasonable and temporary and they're saying it's reasonable to say hey we're getting bombed every night and if you're out there with your lights on for the service you're going to be a target and so let's not meet and how long is this going to be well hopefully not too long you know at some point in time we'll stop being bombed and so then you can meet again or hey there's there's this major plague going on can can you not gather for a little bit so we can kind of you know make sure that not everyone's dying and getting sick they said, well that, that seems reasonable and It's just a temporary kind of situation and what I'd say is that doesn't automatically give them authority because if being reasonable isn't necessary and being temporary isn't necessary putting them together doesn't make it necessary but what reasonable and temporary does mean is that might give us a reason not to submit but to defer And the distinction I make is this. Submission, I don't get to decide whether or not I follow. It's a legitimate authority. I have to submit. Defer means I don't have to submit. You're not in charge. But what you're saying, it makes sense, and I'm willing to go with it. So the example I'd give, let's say you're getting together for Thanksgiving dinner. And you have a dad who has several adult children. And they're meeting at one of the adult children's homes. And the dad sends out a message to everyone and says, you know what, I don't want any talk about politics during Thanksgiving dinner. And the adult children, do they have to submit to their father? And the answer is no, they don't have to obey. They're not children anymore. They certainly have to honor their father and mother for all their life. But they don't have to obey because they're not in the role of a child anymore. But the adult children might say, you know what, whenever we talk about politics, we get in a big fight. And everyone gets mad at each other. And so, for one day, we cannot talk about politics. And what are they doing at that point in time? They're saying it's reasonable and it's temporary. And so we're going to go with it. Not because we have to. Not because he's exercising authority. But we're saying, you know what? We're going to honor you. We're going to defer to what you're saying. And I think that's what many churches did, without maybe even always thinking through it, when government first came out and said, hey, can we not meet for the next month? to say, you know what, we understand, we don't know what's going on, we're, we're not sure what's happening here, and so we're happy to defer to, to you. We're happy to say, you know what you're saying makes sense to us, and we're, so we'll, for the next three weeks, we're not going to gather. And that's what we're talking about. They're not saying, you have this authority, we're saying, we recognize there's some wisdom in what you're saying, and so we're going to make the decision to follow it. But we actually have the, the ability to make the decision or not. And so whether or not the restrictions are reasonable and temporary don't make a difference as to whether or not we have to do it, but it might make a difference as to whether or not we think it's a good idea. And so that means, the question then comes up, well, who gets to decide, first of all, whether or not government's exercising legitimate authority, and secondly, whether or not we should defer to what they're doing, even if it's not legitimate? And the answer is, first of all, you you have to make that decision and that biblically and theologically has been described as individual soul liberty and what individual soul liberty means is that you are ultimately responsible for what you believe and what you do that that no one else can dictate what you believe and no one else can ultimately dictate what you do because you are going to give an account to god And that principle, I think, is what Paul ultimately points to in Romans 14. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, We'll we'll talk more about Romans 14 in the morning service. But I want to emphasize now, Romans 14 isn't about things that don't matter. It's actually about things that God has said they're good, but some people were thinking they weren't good. And Paul doesn't say, don't worry about it. He actually says the opposite. Be fully convinced. That you've got to figure out what you think is what God wants you to do here. Because you're responsible for him. Because he goes on to say, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And when we stand before God, we cannot say, well, my pastor said this. Or this author said this, or this Christian radio person, or this TV person said this. Because that's not going to cut it. You've got to say, I've looked at your word and I thought this is what you wanted. And I did my best to try to figure out what would be pleasing to the Lord, what would honor the Lord. As we talked about earlier, can I do this to the glory of God? Can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I was responsible ultimately for that decision. And so I'm ultimately going to be responsible for deciding, does government get to tell me to do this or not? I'm ultimately going to be responsible for deciding, should I follow this, even if I don't think government has the authority to tell me to do this or not? And I will give an account to God for that. And and so at first you might think, well, if everyone gets to decide, isn't that just going to be like everyone just does what's right in their own eyes? Well, no, everyone has to do what they think is right in God's eyes. It's not about personal preference. It's not about, I don't like this. It doesn't matter if you like it. What matters is, can I honor God in this? Government tells me to do this. Well, I don't like government telling me to do this. Well, do they have the right to tell you to do it? It doesn't matter whether or not you like it. Are you going to be sinning against God? That's the kind of question you've got to wrestle with. And so first of all, it's you. Secondly, for the church, it's the church. And that's because of of a second theological belief. And that's called the autonomy of the local church. And the autonomy of the local church means that each church rules itself. That, That outside of God's word, the human authority for the church is the local church. And that's why Paul refers to the local church in 1 Timothy 3. And I say local church here because Paul is writing to Timothy and he he talks about how he ought to behave, how he ought to act. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And so this isn't talking about the church at large. He's talking about a local church. This is where you conduct yourself. You conduct yourself in a visible manifestation of the local church. And so how do you behave in the household of God? Because what is the church? It's the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But the church itself has been given the authority by Christ to make the decisions for how it should function. They looked to God's word to do this, but they ultimately have to do this themselves. This is in the second London Baptist Confession. To each of these churches therefore gathered, according to his mind declared in his word so churches aren't just deciding on their own they're going to scripture and they're saying what does scripture say but they're looking at scripture and they're ultimately the ones deciding because christ has given all that power and authority which is in any way needful for their carrying on that order and worship and discipline which he has instituted for them to observe with commands and rules for the due and right exerting and executing of that power and so christ has given the church authority To determine how they're going to carry out his commands and missions for them. And each church gets to make that decision for themselves. Not outside of God, not outside of his word, but looking to God and his word, each church has a responsibility to make that call. And so, if the government is telling churches to act in certain ways, the church needs to make the decision as to whether or not they think this is a legitimate exercise of authority. And if it's not a legitimate exercise of authority, whether or not they should defer to what the government's asking them to do and, and by the church i don't mean the pastors I, I mean in the words of your your church's statement of faith the members are the final governing authority that you have a responsibility as a, as a collective not you don't not i don't decide myself but you as a group have this responsibility which means you can't take this lightly You've got to be thinking through, what does God want us to do? And certainly you do that under the leadership of your pastors. God's given them to you to help teach you the word, to lead you. And so you, you, you weigh what they're saying heavily. But you're ultimately responsible for these kinds of choices. And you as a congregation will give account to God for what you do and how you respond. So with Christ as his head, the local church has no higher human authority outside of itself that can dictate what it believes or how it must carry out its God-given mission. And so I'd say the government can't tell you what to put in your statement of faith. The government can't tell you what you need to believe about God's word. And anything related to carrying out our mission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded, that's all within the authority of the local church. And the government can't dictate anything of that. The government church has that authority. But that means that local churches must be the final human arbiters as to whether or not a government regulation would lead them to deny biblical truth or to interfere with the accomplishing of their God-given mission. And that's where it gets tricky. It's a little easier, I think, is this calling us to deny biblical truth? But is this going to hinder us from doing what God wants us to do in this world? and and that means we need a lot of wisdom we need wisdom and discernment we have to carefully exercise things and we're going to consider a variety of factors and these aren't all of them but some of them would be what's the church like who's in the church and so if i could just you know kind of tease this out if you had a church in which you had a whole lot of people who were immunocompromised and there's a big sickness going around, you might respond differently than if you had a church that wasn't at higher risk. And so thinking through who's in the church, what's the church, uh, who's a part of the church, the testimony in the community. If we do this, how will people think? Now, that's not the driving decision. We'll talk more about that in the morning. But I think it's certainly something worth considering. How, How will people respond if we act in one way or another? The legal threat or penalty that's going to be incurred for not following And this is especially true as we're we're talking about not things that like obey God but things about government doesn't have the authority to tell us to do this. But sometimes government doesn't realize they don't have that authority. And so when they say do this, even though they don't have that authority and you don't do it, you know what they will do? Punish you. And you can say, I don't think you have this authority and you could still face the fines or you could still go to prison. And so you've got to figure out, is it worth it? Is this significant enough for us to deal with that where we'd say, it's not worth it, we'll find another way because we don't have to deal with the penalties? And the relative importance of the activity, because that's going to be a factor in this too. Is this something that we say, in order for us to accomplish our mission, we have to do this? Or is this something to say, it'd be nice to be able to do? And the potential hardship or loss from adjusting the church's ministry. And there's a whole host of other things that you'd wrestle with. Now I want to, to finish then with the question... Of, well what if two people in the church they're talking about individual soul liberty and whether or not they need to follow government restrictions what if they disagree or what if your church makes a decision that the church down the road makes a different decision how should we think about this and I would say that people who come to different conclusions as to whether or not to submit to government regulations can't just accuse the other of sinning the immediate response isn't well, obviously, you're sinning to make that decision. Because they may not be. As I've heard it argued, well, we must not submit to government reg- regulations if it would mean disobeying God, right? so if I say, if for me to do this, it would be sin, no choice, I can't do it. But if it's outside the government's authority, and it's not right or wrong, I can decide, well, I'm, I think it's going to be easier to follow it. Or I think it's important enough not to follow it. And we're probably going to disagree a lot more over here. And we have the option. Should we submit or should we not submit? And so there will be disagreement among godly Christians as to whether or not a specific government regulation would require disobedience to God. And even more disagreement as to whether or not it would be wise to comply with government regulations that have intruded on other spheres. And so we need to allow different churches and different Christians to reach their conclusions about the wisdom of following the guidelines, especially out of deference, without accusing them of rebellion or cowardice. And this is one of the most disturbing things to me in this situation. Because you had some churches saying, hey, if you continue to let's just talk about gathering for worship. If you keep gathering for worship, you're rebelling against God. another other churches would say, if you're not gathering for worship, you're a coward. And you are just uh Submit, you know, wrongly bowing the knee to Caesar instead of Jesus Christ. Instead of recognizing, you know what, we may have wrestled through this and come to different decisions. Not because neither of us care about honoring God or serving God, but because of our situation. Because of the circumstances we're in. Because of how we wrestled through scripture. We've said, you know what, generally I want to submit to government, but I think government's overstepped here. I think it's more important for us to, to do this. Or, you know what, we think it's really important for us to do this, but we think out out of wisdom it's best for us to, to not do it during this time. And both of us are seeking to do it to the Lord. And the answer isn't to say, well, you're wrong and in sin. The answer is to say, we may disagree, but I'm not your judge. Jesus Christ will judge you. And so you're going to stand before him, and we're going to allow you to do that. Instead, Christians should be charitable to one another. By charitable, I mean assuming the best, especially if this is generally someone that you have looked at and said they want to serve Christ. This isn't someone who's constantly compromising the gospel. This is someone who wants to do what's right, and they came to a different decision. Well, assume that they are doing so to the Lord. That's what Paul says in Romans 14. And be gracious with them. Don't condemn them. Don't judge them, but but maybe even pray for them. And I think even support those who come to different conclusions, especially recognizing they might come to this conclusion and then face hardship in light of it. And you might say, I don't agree with that. But I'm willing to stand with them in order to to follow their conscience in this, even if I don't agree. And I'm willing to pray for them because they are trying to do what they think would honor the Lord in this. And they're not my enemy my brother in Christ they're my sister in Christ or our sister church and therefore we may not come to the same decision but but we want to support them as they seek to honor the Lord in these things all right let's close with a word of prayer father we thank you for your word we thank you for the guidance that it provides and I pray that you would continue to help us to, to think biblically and clearly about these things not to To have a heart of rebellion in any sense but a heart that wants to submit to the governing institutions that you have established they're your servants lord we want to honor you we want to submit to you but ultimately we want to do what is right in your eyes and so lord we we desperately need your wisdom and guidance help us lord to, to try to think biblically about these things we pray this in your son jesus name amen